Hello and welcome to the Fresh Start Podcast, a show where we share success principles, explore the stories, experiences, and journey of real people in order to provide newcomers with strategies to succeed. My name is David Ojenka. On today's episode, I'll be talking to Chandran Fernando. Chandran is the founder and managing partner of Metrix360, formerly Metrix Search Group. He's an advocate and partner for gender and racial equity in the workplace. The Metrix360 brand is an extension of Chandran's core principles and people-centric approach, which is to build the future of the workplace where diversity is recognized, equity is embraced, and inclusion is the outcome. Please join me in welcoming Chandran Fernando. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today, Chandran. Thanks, David. Thanks for having me. Very um, honored to be here. So let's dive right into the conversation today. For those listeners who don't know who you are, um, even though I've read a little bit about your bio and your passion, can you give us a snapshot of your story? For sure. Um, so I'm a serial entrepreneur in the sense that I've been living and breathing entrepreneurship for, I would say, since my childhood. Um, I'm Right now, as you mentioned, I'm the managing partner and founder of Matrix 360, uh, formerly known as Matrix Search Group. Uh, we are a talent management and workplace strategy firm that specializes in the commercial real estate and development space across Canada. Our uh, focus is to help companies um, find talent who are um, the leading edge of the commercial real estate space um, and to build sustainability into the, into the workplace. Um, and we truly have a eye and a, and an a intentional lens for diversity and equity um, for talent and for workplace strategy. And part of me, what I do is uh, I love, um, I love people. I love to see people thrive and excel and showcase their gifts that uh, the universe, AKA God has given them. And I like to be a conjoint to helping people, um, I guess, unleash their internal powers. So that's a little, uh, little snippet of what I do and who I am sort of thing. Let's break that down further in the, course of, our, in the course of our conversation. I know you, you spoke a little bit briefly about it, um, that you're passionate about helping people unleash their, their innate gifts and abilities. Um, but, but, but tell us more about Metrics 360. How did you come up with that name? Does 360 in a company name have a significance? Mm-hmm. Great question. Um, so truth be told, um, 20, probably 20 years ago, friends at the time, um, who we know we friends, um, we were working um, at a, another search firm and we decided to, you know, start our own little uh, platform, our own search. So I decided to, um, you know, go, go to the local library and, you know, figure out a name. So I started reading the dictionary. And I came up with 20 names or, or 20 words that really I was attracted to and Matrix was one. And I started researching the names of five names um, that I pulled from the dictionary. 
And I decided to go with the matrix as the starting point for me because matrix, when you look at it, what the word means, it's a algorithm. It is the definition in regards to that there is really no end or beginning, but it's a connection of, of, um, of energy coming together. So I thought if this is what I'm trying to create as a platform of bringing people and people's energy together, this will be a great space. And then the 360 came recently in the last five years was that it's about learning journey. It's about, you know, there's a start and a, an end, but it's a, it's a, it's a continual uh, movement of energy uh, that's moving towards um, each other. So I thought if I could attach those two together, that in itself is what the platform is. So it sounds kind of, um, you know, very direct in regards to the connection piece of people. It's the connection piece of education and it's a connection piece of learning and tapping into your inner strength and connecting it to other people's uh, strengths as we build together. All right. So let's, let's go back to the beginning. Now you came to Canada with your parents at a very young age. Yes, I was a little bit, I was a bit, I was like a young child, like, yeah, very, very, very young. So I basically grew up in Canada. Okay, My whole great. life is Canada. Great. So let, let's talk about those, your growing up years. How, how was it like compared to now, um, growing up in Canada? And also if you can talk about the environments where you grew up in and um, how that has shaped who you are today. 100%. Um, so I grew up in Canada in the early 70s here. And, you know, Canada right now, or Toronto region, is very, very diverse in regards to color and race. Um, so when I grew up back in the early 70s, um, um, so it was very limited of folks who looked like me. Um, so it was a very hard challenge at the time um, growing up. There was a lot of um, overt uh, discrimination. Um, and even to the point where it became life-threatening to us. A couple of incidences, you know, in school, my brothers and sisters and a few friends of us who were of color would always hang out. And I remember always walking home and we've always were taunted um, with racial slurs, uh, things thrown at us. Um, And it was, it was very difficult because we would go home and we would, you know, share this with our parents and our parents, you know, being, you know, newcomers and immigrants um, who didn't want to rock the boat would just say, just ignore it, just ignore it. And just, you know, just pay attention to yourselves and just don't worry about it. It'll it'll all get better. Um, So there was a conflict happening, you know, so it was like, you know, just kind of stay in your lane, ignore everything. But then also we were like, no, this is wrong. We should be doing something. So there was back and forth of, um, you know, of a conflict happening. And to say that is that there were some great teachers out there who wore more um, white Canadians who actually started to speak to the class about the various races in um, that 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 existed in um, in the school, but again, that may put a lot of people in the uncomfortable mindset, which you know caused a lot of conflict as well. So it, it was it was a struggle in the early seventies growing up here, um, and then as Canada started opening its borders to non-Europeans, you saw a more influx of people of color. But when I left the school system, there, you know, there wasn't as many. Um, so there was a lot of, um, there was a lot of pull of tug of war in regards to f- understanding your identity, and especially being a person of South Asian at the time, even though now 
um, there's a lot of South Asians in Canada. At that time, there weren't as many. Um, and it was a very difficult challenge for us growing up because we didn't really have any role models that we could identify on TV or in the media or in the, or in, in the school systems that we could identify with. So it was always a struggle that we wondered, like, did we fit in? Are we, are we part of the mainstream? Um, so it, it was a very challenging time growing up um, that really kind of made us, um, I guess it fueled us and fueled me specifically to go to the library and learn. So I started my journey of learning very early. Um, I like to play sports a lot. So my dad and my mom would drop us at the library for two hours every weekend. I would come home with, you know, at least 20 books um, to read about history, about other people's cultures, um, reading about science, and then I would go out and play sports. So I was very much that sort of kid who was very curious to learn, to play, and to explore. Hmm. That's, that's interesting. You said some very interesting things. You said very limited folks looked like you, and there were overt, overt discrimination. Um, racial laws were thrown at you. Did any of those things, did it have a negative impact on your self-esteem or did it affect you negatively in, in any way? And if yes, how did you overcome that situation or how did you dust it off and um, evolve to become a more positive person and face life with confidence? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it had a mix of negative and positive. Um, negative um, in the early years, absolutely. I think it really um, brought shame in regards to who we were and what we, and what ethnicity group we belonged to. Um, we, I didn't understand it. Um, so I was ashamed of, of, you know, I've never really shared this story, but I will share it. But I was ashamed of my color. Like I was really, when I was growing up as a young boy, like in kindergarten and grade one, I would wish that I could be white. So when I would go home, I would try to scrub the color out of my skin because I was always taunted by it. And I remember a couple of stories um, when I was in grade one that um, when we had recess time and we would, you know, every kid's, every child would share their snacks. So I would always uh, bring a donut, a chocolate donut with the chocolate icing on it. Like those, those and back then it was from country style. Um, no plug there, but um, I would, you know, I love their donuts. So as a child, I would take that for my snack. Um, and I remember multiple times that the kids who were white would look at the donut and say, oh my God, look, he, he looks like the donut. He's, he's a donut. That's his color. And they were very, they would taunt me about it. And I was like, oh my God. So I, start, so I stopped eating chocolate donuts for a while. So every time when my dad would pack it for me, um, for my lunch and my snack, I would just, as soon as I get to school, I would throw it out in the garbage. And every day when I would go home and bathe and shower, I would take the soap and I would scrub it on my skin thinking that the color would come out. And I didn't discover um, the pride or the 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 strength of my color until i started reading um books about black americans and brown um people that i realized that oh my god there are people who actually have done great things um and then i started appreciating the color of my skin um because of the educational 
or the education that I was giving myself and not the, what the school system was giving me. Um, so, so, so there was a trauma around it uh, growing up as a child. Um, even with my name, um, I was ashamed of my name because I, I wasn't a Bob or a John or a Michael. You know, my name stood out and most people, even till this day, do not how to, uh, are not aware on how to uh, pronounce my name. Um, so that in itself um, played on my self-esteem at the time when I was growing up in elementary school. Um, but I'm, I'm used to it. Um, what I do get offended is when people say um, Chandra or, or Chandra, and that's like, no, that's not my name. So I do, you know, correct individuals. Um, but I do understand um, that most people are not familiar with my name. So I'm more patient um, to, to teach people. Mm-hmm. As long as people are more open to listening, that's when um, I will share with them. So, so did, you, did, you have, did you at any point tell your parents some of these emotions you were feeling? Or, um, yes. Okay. Yes. Yes, I did. So, for example, when I was, you know, would um, come home and I would tell my mom, you know, when I, I wish I was light like you, like I wish I was white. Cause so, so it's interesting. So my, just to kind of sidetrack here, um, the color composition of my family is very unique. Um, so my dad is dark. My mom is very light. Uh, my sister is light. Uh, my other sister is dark. My brother is light and I'm dark. So it's interesting when you look at us, we have a diaspora of color and each of us represents a quote unquote different um, color group in a sense. Um, so seeing that and going through, the, going, going through that process, um, we never saw color in that, that sense of color, which, is, which was used on us as, mm-hmm. a, as, as, a, um, as a hierarchical way of thinking. So that's why it brought, us, it brought a lot of confusion growing up as, as a child. Um, so when I did speak to my mom and dad about it, um, they would encourage me to embrace my color and because we are strong people and they would tell us stories. But when I was thrown back into the school system it, and because I spent most of my time with, with, in the school system, I would find it that it was contrary. And, and that's why my dad and mom you know, took us to the library because they wanted us to read and find out about us and about our people and about black people um, because it was like, we're, there's more of a connection there. So, which was really fascinating to me. Mm. Um, yeah. So, so reading, reading um, at a very young age really helped you. Yeah. And one of the books which really um, got me, which to really think about it was Malcolm X's autobiography mm-hmm. um, as a young child reading it. And also Maya Angelou's um, I Know Why the Cage, Cage Bird Sings. Um, that in itself, those two books have continued to shape me to the person that I am today. Was that what led you to study um, sociology and social work? Correct. Yeah. So that's one of the reasons why I decided to to pursue a, um, education in sociology and social work, because one, I want, I saw that there were a lot of imbalances, inequities. I didn't know what that was the word at the time, growing up as a child, but I knew that there were things that were not right. So I wanted to learn how I could um, create a more or better balance. Um, and I loved people. So I, and I loved studying the, how people interacted with each other. I loved the, the um, I loved how people learned how to communicate. I loved how people lived. I loved different cultures. 
I was very curious about that. So that's what really, uh, you know, led me to take these as a discipline. Speaking of your degree in connection with your career, you have a degree in sociology and social work, like we've already established earlier. Mm -hmm. What would you say to people who have perhaps less traditional degrees for their passion? Because you didn't have any degree in human resources, but you worked at a search firm. So what would you say to people who have perhaps less traditional degrees for their passion? Okay, so that, that's a very interesting question because really at the end of the day, um, higher education is important um, and it's how you adapt and apply it to your career, aka your job, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so with me in itself, because I study, um, you know, and I study the mainframes of, of theories and philosophies about people and culture and systems that it actually benefits and it it has benefited me in regards to the AKA human resources, AKA consulting world, because this world that I'm in and I live and I thrive in, it's all about people. It's all about how people interact with each other. It's, it's, you know, how they communicate with each other and how we communicate with each other. And then what, and how do we tap into our inner strengths and how do we then share those inner strengths? So it's basically the degree and the diplomas that I've, I've received over time has set the, the educational foundation, we'll say, um, for me to leverage up, right? And along with my lived experience, along with my um, experience working in community groups and building communities, Mm-hmm. Um, has really, really connected them, the three together or the three areas together quite well. So, so, and so advice and suggestion for others is to really figure out how your education that you've learned over time, um, the foundation of it can be a leverage to your own success, whether you decide to pursue something that is opposite from what that traditional education would have brought you to. Because ultimately what the university degree does, it, 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 it allows the individual um, to learn how to think, um, hopefully critically, and learn how to deal with a variety of situations and learning how to navigate um, more successfully. That's interesting. Back to the point you made that people should um, connect the dots when it comes to their career, maybe do something volunteer on the side while they're in school and all of that so that they can be able to connect the dots, correct? Is that what you're saying? Correct, yeah, exactly. And ultimately, really, it's about the network, right? Sorry, go ahead, David. Sorry. Yeah, so did you know you wanted to get into recruitment from a young age? Absolutely not. So 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 I'll tell you the story how I got into this. I actually fell into this industry um, and into this profession. so there was one time once I graduated. So once I gradu- graduated of university, um, I was tired of the university um, world of just of learning. So I wanted to take a break. So I decided, and, and I actually wanted to pursue my master's or my um, law degree. But I decided to take, um, you know, a year or two years off. I thought, let me just work, get some money together, and then jump back into the um, academic world. So when I told that to my parents, they were like, oh, you can't just go and just get a regular job. You should just go and, you know, try to pursue something else. So why don't you just go to college and get some experience there? So I said, fine. So I went to George Brown, which is a great college in Toronto. 
um, and I studied a community development um, diploma. So while I was there, it was a two-year program, I completed, and um, when I graduated, I had some opportunities to work nonprofit groups. Started started working with one in particular, which was focused on um, at-risk youth um, of color, and working with them in regards to creating programs and um, programs to support their growth. And what I realized was the executive director and the um, executive team there, unfortunately, they were never connected to the youth and their, their experiences. And they kept on um, creating programs that were not applicable to them. So I got into a conflict with the executive director and I thought this is, you know, not correct. This is bullshit. So I decided to, you know, say peace out. I'm going to figure this out on my own. And I realized that I needed to get a corporate job to make money to basically do what I need to do in regards to creating better programs for youth. So I jumped in this, into the corporate world and I actually fell into it. I applied um, probably to like, and I worked probably 25 to 30 jobs within a two month period. I would start a job, I would quit, I'd start a job and I'd quit because I didn't like the people. So I was, because my, my resume in university was very powerful. It was very, um, it was very um, uh, uh, people oriented and I did a lot of volunteer work and I, and I started a lot of uh, student groups and youth groups. Mm -hmm. so, like, so it gave me that organizational. I remember I said I'm very entrepreneurial. So that mm -hmm. came out quite rapidly on my resume. Mm -hmm. So when I got the, when I, when I got a job, I would start probably within a day or two and I would quit. I said, peace out. Don't like the people. You're not getting it. This is boring. And I would jump, jump, jump until one day I, um, I started with a large bank in HR. Um, and the woman who hired me, she hired me on the phone. And when I met her, she's like, I asked her, you know, why would you hire me without even seeing me? She goes, yeah, but if I didn't like you, I would fire you but I just liked your energy on the phone. So I wanted to take a chance. I said, okay. So I was working with her and I, you know, during the first few months I told her, I shared with her that I didn't enjoy the department nor the, the team and I wanted to quit. And she told me to, no, you're not quitting. She, she told me to, you know, shut my mouth, go back to my cubicle. And she's like, you're not going anywhere until I tell you when it's time for you to leave. Um, and I'm going to teach you how to navigate the politics of HR um, because you need to learn this. And I was like, what? So I'm um, because she, she challenged me. I said, okay. So I sat down, went to my cubicle, sat there. And she said, anytime when you're looking for a job, you're coming and telling me first. So I would, so I did. Um, so I saw this job in the newspaper for a recruiter. I went to her and I said, I want to apply for this. She's like, um, okay, looks good. You apply and you let me know what happened. So I applied I got the call within 24 hours or within 12 hours. Um, the, the owner or the, the partner of the company called me, which was a recruitment firm. And she basically um, met me the following day. We met, we had a two hour conversation, just chatting about life. Um, I started, uh, then I, the following week I met her, the owner of the company. And when I met the owner of the company, um, she and she's one of my mentors till this day and i respect her with all my heart she basically when we were chatting the first 10 minutes she basically looked at me and said you know i don't hire people who don't have at least 10 years of experience working you know in recruitment and you don't have that experience so i don't even know why i'm seeing you and she just started you know saying thank you so much for meeting you and peace out
So as she was like, you know, dismissing me, I interrupted her and I said, you know, no disrespect, Miss Dean. And she's like, yep. I said, but can I say something? She goes, yes. What do you want to say? I said, well, what I'm not understanding here is, you know, all my life through university and college, I was told, and even till this day, that I'm told that the youth are the next generation of our leaders. Um, but I'm not understanding this because if, if everyone is saying this, including yourself, that we're the next generation of leaders, how am I supposed to get that experience that you claim that I need if I'm constantly getting doors slammed in my face? Like, I don't understand that. That's not logical. That, that doesn't make any sense. She turned beet red and she said, are you done? I'm like, yep. She goes, and so am I. And she said, see you later. And I walked out of the, the interview, got home, checked my answering machine because it didn't have voice back then. Checked my answering machine and it was her assistant, the partner saying, call me at home. This is my home number. Call me. We want to talk to you. So I called her. She offered me the job. She said, look, we'll offer you a contract job, three months contract and come in. Um, and this is the hourly rate. We could pay you. Are you interested? I said, yeah, absolutely. I'll take it. So I, so I quit my full-time job took a contract job, which was probably paying a quarter of what I was making um, and went. And I sat there for a few months and learned the ropes of recruitment. Um, there was a, it was a company of 20 people, we'll say. Um, and within the first six to eight months, I would say I became the third um, highest billing consultant in the company. And within that year, I became the number one consultant in the company. And then within a year and change, I decided to start my own company. But why I share that with you is that um, what I learned through that process was that to believe in what you could offer and learn to take a risk and learn to apply your, your knowledge that you have. And that's what I did. And I, and I remember specifically that, um, you know, when I would talk to people and interview people, um, a lot of the, um, the talent and the, the candidates would look at me funny and say, you know, who are you? Like, you're just a young kid. What can you do for me? And I would say, look, it's not what I could do right now, but it's what you share with me that I'm going to be able to tell your story to somebody else who could then understand you and I could connect the two of you guys and two people together. So it was through, you know, the art of being honest and open and understanding that I only have so much limitations in my skills at this stage, but my value is great. So if you're able to help me build on that and share with me as I share with you, we could make magic together. So that's what I did. And, and here I am like 20, 21, 22 years later, um, you know, smiling, I guess, at times. <laughs> that's, that's really interesting. That's a very compelling story, I would say. And thank you so much for sharing that detailed story. No now let's talk about your Matrix 360. Let's dive deeper into it now. You took a big bet starting a company, obviously. Yeah. How was it like starting your own company? Were you scared? What gave you the confidence that it will work? Absolutely. Um, so why I shared my start of my company? Because I knew that I was an independent thinker and I wanted to do it you know, through trials and tribulations. Um, so I was scared as hell. Like I, I'm not from a financially um, um, affluent family. Um, I, you know, I was, so when I started my company, I was in student debts coming out of my yin yang with student loans from university. Um, so I had bad credit cause I couldn't pay my student loans. Um, I couldn't 
you know, I, my network was so small, but it was big for what I thought it was big, but it was small in, in, in the realities of it all. Um, and secondly, is that I knew that I couldn't do anything else but this. Like I knew I didn't have any other options. Um, I didn't want to go back into social work and, and community development because I knew I needed money. Um, and I knew this particular industry will not give me the money to, to start what I needed to do. And I knew it was a corporate and private sector. And I knew that I couldn't really work for anyone because I tried, you know, a year and a half later, uh, uh, prior to this, working for others and I would quit jobs because I didn't like um, how people talked and how people treated each other. So I thought, no, nah, I can't be part of that. So I knew this was my only option. Um, so I was scared as hell. Like the first um, few months, like I wouldn't do any cold calls. I would like do lunches with folks, um, kind of walk around, sit at certain restaurants and just start talking to people. And what I want you to understand too, David, is I'm naturally an introverted person. So I had to um, challenge myself to push myself out of my comfort zones and sit and learn how to connect with people by talking. Um, and part of that is, you know, because I have a speech impediment, I do have a stutter, that I use that as a, cr as a crutch to keep me back from many, from many opportunities um, by, by speaking, by not speaking. Um, so, I, so I learned from a very early point in my career, in my corporate career, was to step outside of my comfort zones and just push forward. Um, and that's what I did. Um, and because I knew that I liked people. And I knew I liked, you know, um, listening to other people's stories. So I would sit there at the bar and just start making conversations with people and start talking and start, you know, understanding what their stuff, what they were carrying with them and then how I could leverage that to create opportunities for them and for me. So that's what I did. Um, and, I, and I had to learn quite, quite fast um, because... I didn't have any other options. So yeah, it was scary. I was in debt, I had student debt. Um, banks wouldn't give me loans because I had nothing. I didn't have any assets. Um, I didn't have, I didn't come from a financially affluent family. Um, so I thought, okay, this is what I gotta do. And I, and I don't wanna work for someone else in that sense, even though I'm working for some people, right? Because if you think about it, what I do is I'm an extension of companies. Um, but what I'm able to do is able to provide knowledge and, and guidance. So there's a um, quid quo pro relationship going on, as I call it, um, which I think that's what business, business is about, right? It's about um, sharing it's about building together and it's having a common vision and purpose mm. so so how did you find your first client how did I find my first client um, so back in the day when I was working for uh, Peggy Dean which I love her to death um, and she used to own this company called Peggy Dean and Associates now it's called I think the Dean Group um, she, she's no longer a part of it but she sold her company when I left so 21 years ago she sold it um, anyway so when I was uh, checking a reference uh, of a candidate that I was just placing, um, I spoke with um, a executive vice president who ran a huge um, public relations company. And um, 
one of the questions that you needed to ask according to the template of what Peggy designed was to ask this, you know, the hiring manager or the reference whether they use agencies or not for recruitment. So that was my last sentence to or question to ask him. So as I started to speak, I started stuttering because I started getting nervous and I was like, oh my God, I screwed this up. So I put him on hold and I thought I actually put him on hold, but I didn't. Um, and I started talking to myself and I started saying, oh my God, you're such a fool. How did you screw this up? Oh my God, you're such a dumb fool. So I started talking to myself and um, also just to kind of set it up, the, the, the framework of it, um, I shared a small office with one of my peers and she sat directly uh, across from me in this small little cubicle that we both shared. So as I'm saying this and I was stuttering, she started laughing and she's like, and she was laughing. So I thought, Oh my God, like it, so it took me back to my childhood of um, which I was one of my trauma and my triggers was that, Oh my God, here you are. Like, you know, you're less than how can you do something like this? Um, so I got back on the phone with this, with this, with this man. And I said, I'm sorry about that. Um, and I want to ask you this question. And he's like, yeah, he goes, go ahead. So I asked him finally, it came out and I said, you know, do you, do you use agencies and would love to send you some information. As soon as I finished my sentence and my, my um, question, he turned to me and said, yep, absolutely. I do. And I would love to meet with you. I was like, Oh, okay. This is amazing. So I got so excited. I, I, um, I said, great, thank you so much. Can you give me your address? Or he gave me the address. And then just as before I said goodbye to him, he said, oh, and by the way, you, 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 you didn't do anything bad or you're not a fool. So don't worry about that. And I didn't realize that. And that's when I realized like, oh my God, I didn't actually put him on hold. I actually, you know, um, had it open the line open and he heard what I was saying and I heard him talk about myself. So that was my first. So that was my first opportunity. I met him then uh, a week later, and I walked into his boardroom. It was a huge boardroom on Bloor Street. Like it was like one of those, you know, fancy boardrooms. And as, and as a young person um, who didn't have exposure to the affluence of business, I was like so mesmerized by it that I sat with him, and um, he basically gave my first opportunity. He's like, "Look, I know you're young." but I think you're smart enough. I'm going to show you what you need to do. And I just need you to just go and do it. And if you have any questions, ask me. I'm like, absolutely. And that's what I did. And I was able to place um, a um, senior person for him who was running one of the largest accounts for the PR firm. And till this day, this person, you know, has been one of my, um, I guess, shadow mentors really over time. Um, that was my first opportunity. Like I was, I embraced my, my um, insecurities. I embraced my little knowledge that I had mm -hmm. and I was able to connect it to showing that I'm human. Like, Hey, give me an opportunity and I'll, and I'll show you what I could do sort of thing. Mm. Taking some very brave steps. I think from your story, one key thing that I'm taking away is bravery and uh, risk taking so that's that's really interesting um so let's let's now talk about the core of what metrics 360 does which mm -hmm. is diversity equity and inclusion was mm -hmm. this the core belief of 
the business when you started or it was something you got into as a result of something that happened to you uh, in the course of your career or can you take us through that journey? Sure. Um, yeah, it was always my core of my business. Um, did I call it that? No. I only started calling, I started utilizing those words over the last few years is because I've noticed that this word diversity and equity has been so overused and underused, or I would, I would say I was overused and over misinterpreted that has caused a lot of divisiveness to happen in corporate Canada and in the world. So that's why recently I started using this word diversity and equity in the last five years, because I thought, you know what, there's a lot of um, individuals who are using this word for their own benefit, um, which is selfish, which is ego-driven versus community-driven. Um, and one of the reasons why I've used it or one of the reasons why this is my one of my core principles and values of of my company and, and anything that I that I do, it's because it all stems from my childhood, my experiences, right? That I realized at a very young age that there were a lot of imbalances, um, a lot of inequities, um, things that were not equal, based on identities that should not even be considered in the equation. So, meaning that. You know, based on someone's gender, based on someone's sexual orientation, based on someone's abilities, based on someone's color and race, um, many people were kept away from decisions because of these negative stereotypes that most people had of each other. Um, so I knew that. And one of the reasons why I knew that was because going through the system of um, looking for a job, getting a job, quitting a job, um, starting a business, I saw that all that through through the the, the journey. Um, like I remember one client, um, a large CPG that I was on their North American vendor list, placing all their senior people um, and doing quite well. That I I purposely didn't meet the VP of HR, the executive vice president of HR, because I had a feeling that she had a huge bias against uh, people of color. I could just sense it just from her commentary, her her. Um, covert comments about people of color and I thought I'm not going to meet this woman at all. Um, however, she insisted after a few years that we needed to meet and go for lunch because she wanted to celebrate with me because I just placed this huge, um, I think it was an executive vice president of procurement for them. So I, I said, fine, I finally met her. I was on the executive floor sitting there um, in the reception area waiting for her and um, there was another gentleman sitting beside me. I guess he had another meeting with someone. So we both were sitting there waiting. The receptionist said, um, this person would, 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 would be out in five minutes. I said, great, no problem. I'll just sit here and read a book. So I was reading one of their magazines. All of a sudden, the door opens. The executive doors open. And she walks out. And she's like, Chandran! And she comes running out. And she goes directly to this white guy sitting there. And I'm just looking at her, I'm like, hi, it's me. And she's like, oh, she turned to me and she goes, oh, hi. So her whole energy changed. We went for lunch. It was probably the most quietest lunch ever that I had. <laughs> and I was like, holy shit. And I just looked at her and I, and I knew she's not going to use me ever again. And word to that day, she was supposed to call me the, in the afternoon to give me a couple of new orders that they were expanding their uh, Western Canada um, region. And they needed some executives. I heard boo from her. Weeks went by. She ignored my calls. And then I get a call from one of the um, 
COOs of uh, Canada. And he's like, Chandler, like, why haven't you recruited on this role? Where are your resumes? What, why did you drop this ball? I'm like, no, I said, I haven't gotten the order. He goes, what do you mean? So I shared with him my thoughts and he's like, you will get a call within the next minute. She calls me with literally five minutes later, she calls me and says, oh, I'm so sorry. I thought I called you and I thought you had all the details. I said, no, I had nothing. She's like, yeah. So then I, and I said to her directly, I said, look, I know you don't like me because of my color and my skin. And in reality, you're not important to me because of that. And because of that, I'm going to say no to you because I don't want to deal with someone who doesn't respect people for, for their content versus their superficial identities that you have, le- you have purposely um, identified with mm-hmm. as a negative. So I'm telling you right now, peace out, good luck with your search, and I'm not interested. And she started starting on her words, and I was like, no, I'm not even interested. And um, you've shown me your true c- colors, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to be your puppet in, in playing this game. So until you, until you leave the company, I'm not interested in doing business with this company. So I called the CEO and the president and I explained to them, they were quite upset. And they said, no, no, you need to work on this. I'm like, not interested. I said, look, I don't, I don't, I'm not interested how you manage your company internally. Um, but this is what I'm feeling. And I'm not here to judge how you, whether she stays on your company or not. I just know that I don't want to work with someone who has these mindsets um, and who's in denial of it. So that's the reason why. And I, it was a huge account. I was making like over six figures plus with this, with, with this one particular account. And to me, it was never about the money. It was about human connection. So I said, peace out to her. And I just, and I walked away. So yeah, so, so diversity and equity is one of the core values and core centers of my being. And I'm not going to, um, you know, compromise my values or my beliefs um, over the love of money or the love of something that's shiny and something that's new. Cause I don't, I don't work that way. Right. And um, yeah. And I'm, I'm, and I'm, and I'm a person to, um, you know, not shy away from expressing it and, 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 you know, and sharing good conflicts. I think you need to have good conflict in the world um, in order to do better. Right. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. That speaks um, a lot to your character and to your core values, which is really important. And thank you so much for standing up for the truth, regardless of the financial benefits that uh, would come out of it. Not so many people would, would do that. This is the end of part one. We've actually got a lot more coming in part two. I really enjoyed this first part of our interview with Chandran. And as you can tell, I had a great time chatting with Chandran. And I'm so excited for part two, where we discussed how organizations can really embrace diversity, equity, and inclusion. How immigrants can position themselves effectively for career opportunities. Skills in demand that immigrants need to position themselves post-pandemic have many more. So stay tuned for part two coming in the next episode tomorrow of the Fresh Start podcast. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Fresh Start. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with someone you know and love. Please go ahead and subscribe on any platform you listen to your podcast. And also please take a moment to leave us a review because that would help us to reach more audience. Please follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Fresh Start Orb.
If you know any newcomer you think would be a good fit to interview for the podcast, we'd like to hear from you. Please go to www.thefirststartup.com to nominate someone. We appreciate you and remember, no matter how hard the past is, you can always begin again. Take care and have a great week.